Welcome to the Back to Square Quan podcast with your host Chong and Kedrick. This is a podcast where we will have conversations about training, nutrition, and philosophy, taking you back to square one. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Back to Square Quan podcast. This is episode one. And we have a very, very esteemed guest. Some actually even call him the god of like the online fitness cult, right? So oh, for all the listeners out there, when you hear his voice, make sure you uh, bow down in submission. So <laughs> welcome to our show, uh, Dr. Doctor Eric Helms. Right? Yes, I Dr. Have to Eric Helms. address uh, my PhD supervisor with official titles just because, you know, uh, I do want to graduate a PhD. And yeah, besides being the, the the god of the cult, right, where everybody worships in the online fitness world, maybe you can tell us a little about yourself. Absolutely. Well, first, thanks for having me on, uh, PhD candidate uh, Kedrick Kwan. Uh, it's an honor to be on. And uh, I know you guys had a zero episode, but having me on the number one episode makes me feel, well, I don't know, like number one. So I appreciate that. So yeah, I guess brief intro for me. I am uh, the epitome of someone who took lifting weights too far, um, <laughs> where they were like, hey, you know, get a job. Hey, you know, find meaning in life. Hey, you know, go to school. And I said, can I just make lifting weights all of that? And they were like, hey, you really shouldn't. And I said, you know what? I got one basket. I got all the eggs. They're all going in there. So that's basically me. Um yeah, I just fell in love with lifting weights to the point where I decided to uh, spray spray paint myself very dark colors and flex after starving myself, and also like like you two gentlemen know, mm-hmm. uh, to try to kill myself under a barbell uh, multiple times per year. So yeah, I uh, strength sport, physique sport fan, scientist, coach, uh, PhD supervisor, as as you know, Kedrick, and uh, just uh, all around. Loving the, the the communication of science behind it. Yeah, mm. thank thank you for for the introduction. I think that you, I think it's important to also mention that you are uh, the co-host of the Iron Culture Podcast. So for all of the listeners out there, please do check we, out. The podcast. Yes, we will. If, we will pop the show notes down there to ride the wave. Yeah, even though um, I do think that the likelihood or the probability of you hearing about a podcast but not hearing about iron culture is really low but for those that don't I, I would I would I would be shocked if yeah. that is the case and I think uh, yeah. you know Eric and Omar his other co-host might need to do a little bit better on the uh, marketing side of things if anything <laughs> well we'll look at it this way we'll check our analytics after this episode comes out and if we see a huge spike from the back to square Quan uh, crossover to the iron culture uh, then we'll just start copying whatever you guys do because clearly what you're doing is working. Exactly, so. exactly. Yeah. So, and yeah, so I mentioned that you are the co-host for Ang Culture for a very specific reason. And I think that um, it's one of the main topics of conversation. Uh, I know a lot of people, like you are quite sought after in the podcast world. Everybody, I mean, everybody looks, uh, they want to uh, seek God, right? So basically... They, yeah, they, they look for Basically. you and they essentially get you to speak a lot about nutrition, right? Protein metabolism, uh, in uh, intuitive eat, eating, some form how, of- how to get striated glutes Basically. in, in mm-hmm. eight weeks. 
Uh, Oof, that's a, that's a tall order. Auto, <laughs> auto regulation, right? And those are very familiar topics to you and the listeners out there. But what we wanted to focus on a little was to, t- was to take a different approach. As the co-host of Iron Culture, I think you've recorded, if I'm not mistaken, at more than 120 episodes now. And it has been going on for almost two years. Yeah, we, we actually recorded, and this will be a sneak peek depending on which one comes out first. Uh, we just reported, uh, recorded, I think, episode 123 with Katie Ann Rutherford mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. And then today, this morning, we recorded 124, which is a Q&A. Uh, and on top of that, we just released episode 180 of the 3DMJ podcast. So in total, uh, he had, I'm like he, 300 podcast episode deep. And that's just the ones that I'm uh, on on the production side of. So so with all those numerous podcasts, I think it's very like important to kind of like highlight the... I, I know that yourself as a co-host and someone who is in the constant pursuit of knowledge and also communication of knowledge, specifically in the realm of exercise science and fitness, um, you've definitely learned at least a thing or two, right? You know, uh, so two, yeah, two, right. That's great. Two. Yeah. You, you, you took more than one, you more than one. <laughs> I offered, so two is great. And <laughs> I, that, that essentially would be the conversation. I think having someone who, people would already see as being on top of the pyramid there, plugged to muscle and strength pyramid. <laughs> so uh, many plugs in this episode. And, Eric must be joyed. <laughs> yeah, Anal- analytics going crazy for sure. And, I'm buying a sports car, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so b- for someone like being like at the top of the pyramid, you know, like how does it work for you in terms of like learning, right? We can start off from that. Like I think a good way to just break it down for our listeners would be to start with one very simple thing like what has what has changed your mind specifically from your interactions with some of the notable guests it doesn't even have to be notable uh, as important mm, to the online world but just maybe a memorable or guest to you or a moment you had this aha moment right so maybe we can start with that and then we'll just let the conversation flow from there oh man I've had a ton I think um one that I just had recently, we had uh, Jeff Nippert on, and he was talking about, I think the biggest aha moment I had was just seeing Jeff Nippert be so much more successful at what I've tried to accomplish with, with science communication and just seeing that making science explained videos that could get hundreds of thousands of views and that he could have over 2 million subscribers is something that really kind of in a positive way, it shattered my worldview of how niche like the evidence-based community was. And it also shattered my ego because <laughs> of how successful he's been. It's something I've been trying to do for, you know, starting a full, you know, five years earlier than him uh, and trying to really, really just do, do some of those things. That's the most recent one. We just had Jeff Nippert on, but I think, um, you know, prior to that, I've had numerous mind-blowing mo- moments where we've had people who are far smarter than me on. Um, having Andrew Vygotsky on, along with um, Doctor uh, Megan Bryanton. Um, oh, that's that's not her her last name anymore. It's Megan Bryanton's. Oh, I'm forgetting her, her her new married name. Apologies, Megan. But they had some really cool insights about how the basic anatomy that we think of 
um, when we think about agonists and prime movers is much more complex than that when it gets down to it. So for example, that there's a biomechanical argument that the adductor magnus is actually the primary hip extensor uh, when you're in the deep portion of a squat, uh, I think is, is, is pretty mind-blowing considering it's not even called a hip extensor, you know, for, for, for one. Um, and then also thinking how I remember when I first learned, you know, basic biomechanics, uh, you think of, you know, synergists and okay, we got the hip extensors and you got the quad extensors. So you think like, okay, the quads, hamstrings, and glutes are all being trained during a squat. Um, but just how much data is now accumulated that the hamstrings are actually quite quiescent on EMG. Uh, and if you think about it from a, a summation of forces, they can't be doing too much or they'd be fighting against, against the quads. So there was a time in powerlifting where people were all about the hammies in, in, in the low bar squat, especially if you were to read some of like the West side stuff and thinking it being as a primarily hamstring and exercise, it's always which is sitting back as, as a back, 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 back it's back. always back and down. It's never forward and down. <laughs> That's right. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, th- those are like just a couple that pop in my head right now, but there've been numerous times. And I think, um, not to toot our own horns, but I think Omar and I are a very good combination because he's a fantastic uh, communicator, talker. He puts people at ease. Um, he brings humor, keeps you engaged. And he also has a really good finger on the pulse. See, he has the finger on the pulse of people in the fitness industry, in the community more broadly. Um, while I don't, like I don't follow a lot of mainstream stuff in the fitness industry, but what I do have is a lot of network connections to people in the fitness industry, uh, researchers, scientists. I've, I've got a guy or I've got a gal for almost any topic in most cases who I know is at the top of their field or, or, or is very, very good. And I think that's produced some really cool episodes that that combination of Omar going, here's what we need to talk about and me going, Hmm, who would be good for that? So, uh, anyway, that, that's a little bit of a tangent, but those are just a couple of things I've learned from, Mm. from hosting podcasts. It, It is, it is always a very interesting sort of dynamic i suppose being in your position doctor eric eric for short um and it's just because that we we obviously understand there's always going to be like this scientific background and scientific evidence to back things up right like as like kind of what you said more emg studies are coming out with the hamstrings great but then on the flip side we have fitness gurus that have been mm. bodybuilding for the last 15 years but have never really stepped foot in a lab you know and all Mm. they have studied or learned is basically going through as they would say online courses to to learn a little bit more and you know and i'm not here to kind of sit and disregard these people i'm sure they you if you're listening and if you're one of those people are doing a really damn good job but they don't really have any you know titles to their name right like they, they, they you know to put it very bluntly they're not even they haven't even been to like a university or college depending on which country you're listening to this so i guess being a science communicator yourself how how do you and i know that you obviously post content for 3dmj your your own uh, social media on iron culture we have obviously got podcast and guests coming on how do you or where do you sort of draw the line for yourself personally when it comes to sort of getting the message across to 
in quotations, the general public, because mm. in, in many cases, the general public is always going to want to look at the flashy stuff, like the Ferraris and the abs, or, you know, in, in the women's case, the bikinis and, and the ass. But we know that the truth sometimes isn't sexy. And, uh, you know, mm. the EMG studies for most people is going to be very, very boring. They'll be like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> so yeah. where, where do you or how do you sort of draw the line, especially when it comes to, you know, producing content, just not just for yourself, but when you are kind of talking for like Iron Culture, uh, the 3DMJ podcast and, you know, being on other podcasts as well, I suppose. Oh, man, there's there's a few key things I want to I want to hone in there. So I think. For one, I would say that you really need to know your audience um, and you have to know how it develops and where it comes from. So for someone to follow Eric Helms and to seek out my information out of the gate early on in their interest in fitness, that is rare and it takes a certain type of, uh, of precept. So that would mean that they, they already probably value a rational skepticism approach or they value scientific evidence. Um, like for example, now that I've gone through getting a PhD, when I'm interested in the topic, I don't just Google it. I will probably go to Google Scholar to look up something on mm. it first. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is what? Who are the? Who is the equivalent of of of, of some of the people I trust in the, in the scientific field that I'm an expert in? Um, knowing that as deep as I've gone, you can go that deep in anything. And that like all of the kind of the surface level stuff we learn might be the equivalent of bro science. Like, so for example, um, my wife, uh, before she became a zookeeper and then before she got into geology, um, she was a, a dog trainer and she definitely followed like an evidence-based approach. And I came to learn that like Caesar Milan is basically like, the, rest in peace, like the, the Charles Poliquin of the dog uh, training world, you know? Oh. Yeah. So you know how everyone talks about like the alpha pack in like, like dogs, um, like, oh, you got to be the alpha. That's based on debunked research, not necessarily debunked, but it is inappropriately applied to stray dog packs uh, or stray wolf packs in, in captivity that were not family units. So they were basically conservation situations in, 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 in parks in the United States of these uh, wolves that were not from the same family. So they got together and formed these ad hoc packs. And in that artificial scenario, they have to find the alpha. And it turns into this whole like domination thing. But normal wolf packs in the wild are just families. And it is very much similar to the way extended families are in, in other mammals where it's the parents are the leaders. And then you have kids and, you know, they have all these relationships. So the entire basic like hypothesis behind the way Caesar Milan does things is based on false data. And, and it's also really kind of shitty. Like it involves having this almost abusive authoritarian relationship with, with an animal that probably just wants to see you as its parent, you know? So anyway, that's just one little example of why I try to find the equivalent of evidence-based in whatever topic I look at. But that's not normal. I don't think that's the way most people approach information. So I recognize that most people who come to me they don't have that basic skill. Rather, they're someone who has been spit out of the cars and abs and, and butts and bikinis fitness world, and they've failed because that world is quick to take your money and to give you a solution that will only at best work temporarily. 
And then when those people want long-term results, they might pop around and try a bunch of different things. Like I went from the keto diet to the, the fruitivore diet and I tried, you know, P90X and this and that and all these things that may have worked for a limited period of time. But eventually they probably will either just quit or they will start to kind of reframe their whole worldview and go, okay, I need something that's legitimate. How do I know that it's legitimate? And there's a number of ways they can go there. They go, okay, I'm only going to follow, you know, athletes. Like I'm just going to follow people who have, you know, taken this to a high level. And that will certainly get you, you know, further than following the gimmicks and the fitness influencers, you know. Um, and that's actually very common in the bodybuilding world. Like what do the pros do? That's, that's the most common approach. And that's actually not that bad. It's a step in the right direction. Um, but sometimes a certain number of people are going to come and go, okay, well, I trust science. Or, or this is something like if they're, they're rational in other parts of their lives, they go, maybe this exists here. And they start to find that. Or at least they apply a higher level of skepticism to the claims they come across. And for people who do have a big reach, someone like a Jeff Nippert or, or, or one-tenth of that, but still a decent reach like myself, um, is able to become a voice that they go, oh, that makes sense. So first of all, I have to know that. Like that's the audience I'm speaking to. So I don't spend a whole lot of time trying to like debunk the general fitness, you know, stuff. I think that era has come and passed. I think if you want to be an evidence-based person and you want to just play whack-a-mole, you're going to be, you know, shouting into the, into the void along with a thousand other people who have a very small following. Um, I'm at the point now where I accept that people who come to me are, are ready to hear solutions. They're ready to hear systems. They want to learn interesting things. Um, and I think that is the the perspective I take because I know who that's who's going to be listening. Um, so to some degree, uh, if you don't know that audience, you can be spending a lot of time producing content that really uh, won't be that helpful uh, at, at worst. And so, or at best, at worst, you just won't develop a following in the first place because you're, you're speaking across your audience. So, yeah. And then the other thread that you guys talked about that I want to follow is, um, you know, education. And one thing that I've never wanted is to be the guy that you need a bachelor's degree to actually follow. Um, because I think there, and this is something I, I have definitely felt reinforced by that Jeff Nippert comment that people do like science, like, you know, Carl Sagan back in the day or, or, or your Neil deGrasse Tyson now, or Bill Nye, the science guy, these science communicators have millions of followers across the world because science is actually kind of cool. Learning how things work speaks to the natural curiosity in all of us. So I think that that is a really cool approach you can take. And this is something I've learned to some degree from Greg Knuckles. Like I used to be very utilitarian and I wouldn't make a video or an article or do something unless I felt like I was solving a problem or giving someone the complete guide. And I wanted it to be done and finished, you know? And I think something that Greg Knuckles is quite good at it, it bringing across when he talks about it on podcasts or when he writes uh, on his blog on Stronger by Science is you can tell he kind of loves the science behind it. And he'll go off on a little tangent and you'll learn about how, how muscle is, is, is multinucleated and how that's kind of cool and unique or something like that. And it won't be directly relevant, but it actually draws you in rather than kind of being this boring or, or intimidating or overwhelming element that makes it feel like Oh, this isn't as intimidating as that, that shitty teacher I had in high school, you know, who made me hate chemistry or something like that. So I think those are all things that I try to leverage. And I think that learning is something independent from education. So 
to take your question and tie it back to what you said, Kedrick, how do I learn? For the longest time, I learned through, I mean, I've been studying for, I've only stopped studying in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I started uh, in like the early 2000s. So like I had 15 years of benefiting from a artificial structure, the education system of teaching me. And I was very fortunate that in right towards the end of my PhD, Greg Knuckles reached out and said, hey, do you want to do this thing called mass? And I said, yeah. And I know this guy named Dr. Zerdos. And uh, eventually we brought on Trexler. But I created another artificial structure of, all right, I'm going to be writing about a couple topics and doing a video on one every month. Um, and then I, you know, once we started Iron Culture in 2019, I've, I've, I've realized that I benefit from creating uh, outlets for content creation, which forces me to keep learning. Mm-hmm. And that's something... I learned that when I made the the largest leaps and bound in my bounds in my knowledge was when I was teaching at a personal training college in 2011. At the same time as I was studying for my first master's, at the same time as I was a 3DMJ coach, at the same time as I was still doing a little bit of in-person training. So I got to learn theory, teach theory, and then actually implement it in practice and get questions from people. And the teaching element was so huge because a lot of the times we think we know what we know through rote memorization. And that's what's unfortunately ingrained as undergraduates and the traditional model of learning. But truly people learn from playing with knowledge and seeing it from different sides and trying to see how it connects to things and having, you know, someone from a very different worldview and background ask me questions about something I think I know, man, there's nothing like that that forces you to learn it. So that was multi multiple layers and, 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 and different ways or directions. I took that question, but I hope that that kind of answers a few things. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think it's very interesting that you kind of like shared your experience as well. I do think um, that for people who uh, listen to you, they can kind of like see where you're coming from. Like, you know, it's not that, boom, Eric Helms, now I'm just like born with all this innate knowledge, you know. And But you actually have this pathway where, cool, you started teaching and uh, started learning, right, hand in hand. Um, and you you constantly improve. I think the it's very important as well because uh, I think that being a science communicator, the goal is to communicate like uh, a particular set of knowledge regarding a specific area of interest. And I kind of was uh, when Chung asked the question, I was thinking about like you know the bro science out there, you know, and versus like evidence uh, based uh, fitness in exercise the exercise science community. I'm just thinking like what. Like I think that, that, that there might be certain formulations out there, right? But I think that a general term, a general consensus for uh, knowledge would be like something like justified true beliefs plus something else, right? And I think that the people out there can make claims that, that are true and they believe it, but they don't have the adequate justification. Whereas like science would provide that additional justification. For example, we I can say that muscle, like it will, like muscle will grow when I lift weights and that's a true belief, but may it, but my belief might be because it increases testosterone level, right? But their belief might be true, but you're, you are not justified to believe it because the, me- me- the mechanism is, uh, it, it's not exactly how that works. Hence that is not considered as knowledge. Whereas like science provides a good justification for something to be considered as knowledge, right? So it, it reminds me because I, I, I kind of want to like bring this back when you talk about like, Jeff Nippert online. And obviously, Jeff Nippert has a huge online 
uh, presence and people, and you said that you are no longer like the kind of people shouldn't be the kind that just like this theory debunk, you know. And mm. I do think that a lot of the the bros out there will be like, you know, why don't we just do what we know, you know, like lifting weights works, right? Like once again, right? Science has finally caught up to what we already know twenty years ago, right? But if we put through, uh, like philosophically, right, we put through the criteria of knowledge, right? They are what you know twenty years ago technically doesn't really constitute knowledge because it could be false, right? Uh, it, it could be true, but the, like you're not justified in believing that that is true. So for yourself, I've seen like some, uh, things online. I think we can go into, uh, a to- a, a topic where people like so-called call you out, you know, like because you know Eric Helms mm. is this guy. We don't have name specific names. I know you, I'm pretty sure you're aware. Maybe you're, you're not, but aware of some of the haters out there. But be like, oh, Eric Helms talks so much about auto regulation. Why can't people just lift weights? Like just, just add lift- just add ten kilos every yeah, week until yeah, you fail, like, and then you deload, and then you add ten kilos again. Why can't people just do that? You know. <laughs> so in that instance, right? Like, obviously, for someone like yourself, you want to have some form of epistemic humility not no, not uh, not in the sense that like, i know everything right so but for a case like that so how do you evaluate when when it's time for you to be like cool right maybe this guy actually has something to say and actually can learn something from it or maybe this guy is actually just like say shouting into the void or he wants to try and like disregard some of my my comments just because i know nowadays it's popular to Stop controversy because it gives you views. So that could be one of the reasons. So where before you, yeah, mm. be, and before you go, Eric, I do recall. I don't know who it was with, and I'm pretty sure I can say his name because I respect him dearly. I do recall a couple weeks back. This might have been months. Mike Isratel posted a post of Team Full Rom. He's a big proponent of Team Full Rom, um, and I can't remember was it you or someone else he sort of tagged into it. Might be. Brad Trophy, I can't remember who, and they, they started, not an argument per se, but it was a very good discussion, and mm. it's one of those really good discussions on Instagram, I was like, I actually want to, like, keep, you know, like, keep reading just for the sake of the discussion portion, so, yeah, that's probably one example that came to mind, um, yeah. yeah. No, that's a perfect, actually, it's a perfect segue to what I was going to describe, and I'm glad you said that, Chung, because, like... I'll be honest, I don't pay any attention to a random YouTuber who takes a shot at me. And that's not like saying I'm above it all or a self-righteous thing. It's that I don't stand to gain much from that because those types of critiques are normally for views. Occasionally, they're not, but they often aren't anything that I haven't considered. But when someone who, and, and they come from a position of, basically saying we've already got this figured out they they come from a position of of not i want to question this or i disagree they come from a position of the whole idea of what you're doing is stupid and we just need to like we already have the answers arnold figured this out years ago like you're not helping people get bigger or stronger this is it's it's basically a straw man the idea that we already know what works and the question it almost assumes that I'm saying you need auto regulation to make gains or you need to have the perfect macros to, 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 to make any progress in terms of fat loss or body composition. When in reality, I'm looking at 
uh, potentially improving systems or giving solutions to people who are stuck in a scenario or trying to find a way to progress compared to other people who are already progressing quite well. You know, because I'm thinking about, all right, how do I make Bryce Lewis stronger? You know, like that's not really necessary. He's already stronger than almost everyone on the planet. That's the type of headset I come from because I'm a, you know, a physique and and strength sports scientist. Um, I'm I'm not like a general fitness guy. So I think sometimes people will put me in a box that allows them to argue against a version of me that doesn't exist. Like this guy's making it so complex, but here's all you need to do. And it's like. Well, I know I did that for the first two years of lifting. It worked great, you know, until it didn't. So, I those those type of arguments or 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 pot shots they they don't even get on my radar, and I purposely don't spend energy on it because it's an opportunity cost that I'm not willing to pay. However, when someone like Mike Isretel uh, or or someone else who is actively thinking about this stuff and is trying to find answers, um, and you know, I, I will engage. And there's been many in times I've engaged with Mike Isretel. He's a great example. Uh, like we've talked about, I, I can think about times we've talked about, and specifically had editors, editors, letters to the editor back and forth around nuances of progressing volume within mesocycles. Like it's some esoteric shit, um, or discussing like rates of weight gain, or discussing conceptual ideas of what is the minimum versus maximum effective dose. And what should we bootstrap the idea of, of too much to? Should it be progression or should it be uh, your ability to express strength currently? And how much do we actually care about things like uh, subjective factors like, like the pump or, or soreness for the goal of hypertrophy? And we have disagreements around that and it, it makes us both better. So I think that is very different from the, the other thing that I started with. So... I think the the way the way to frame this is that science is not necessary for, for for lifting weights, and you can like going back to earlier what I said. Like some people, they'll go from being spit out by the bullshit kind of fitness industry that just wants your money and gives you a quick fix. They'll go to okay, I'm just going to do what the pros do. That's really not that bad. See, anecdotes are still on the hierarchy of evidence. They're at the bottom, but they are still evidence. And I think it's a really big mistake for people in the evidence-based community to be like, there is, you know, bro science and us. Because bro science is kind of this nebulous term. Sometimes it means just old science. Um, like, oh, you know, nutrient timing is bro science. And I'm like, bro, that was just like before we actually did long-term applied studies. That's just studies based on like glycogen replenishment and muscle protein synthesis. That was done in a lab by university professors in the 90s. I don't know if that's bro science. They just hadn't done the research that we have today. Or bro science could be seen as like Kedrick was saying, you know, uh, if you want to get jacked, you got to lift weights. How does it work? Well, you're tearing down the muscle fibers and then you're building them back up. It's all related to damage, you know, something like that. Like Dorian Yates could believe that, but he would still be able to improve and get to become Mr. Olympia six times. So clearly the anecdotes were sufficient. And I think that's something that we often get wrong is the, uh, the idea that success leaves clues. You guys have probably heard that saying before. Yeah. I think people don't really evaluate what does that saying mean? What clues does it leave? And I think it's really important to understand that high quality anecdotes that are seen by a lot of successful lifters that permeate 
um, you know, the community and have for decades that aren't just kind of the, the latest fad. They are at the very least sufficient to allow progress. And if they're done by multiple high level lifters, they are not impeding the ability to get to a very high level. So if you were to emulate what is the common wisdom in the right circles with the skeptical eye, you could probably get very far and many do in, in lifting, following what other champions have done, listening to people who have done this through trial and error. And this just basically means having good pattern recognition. And at a certain point, you're essentially just kind of replicating observational research, right? I mean, that's all case series and epidemiology are just without the stats, right? So when we, when we do surveys, which, which, you know, Kedrick, you've got one in review right now. It's, it's going to be peer reviewed. It'll be hashtag science. It'll be in PubMed, right? That is really just a way of quantifying anecdotes. That's all observational data is. And you can do some really badass quantification. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Like nutritional epidemiology. Okay. We're going to control for the effect of, uh, of smoking and, and, uh, obesity. And we're going to look just specifically at how many strawberries you eat. And we're going to control for, you know, like age and then where you were born. And then the last two years of cardiovascular events. And then we'll get some really high quality correlations. But, Correlations are always limited. So kind of going back to what you said, Kedrick, um, the, the, the justification is key. Like we pray to the sun god Ra every, every morning and every morning the sun comes up and we've been doing this for thousands of years. So therefore praying to the sun god Ra means the sun's going to come up at 6 a.m. You are correct. The sun will come up at 6 a.m. The rest is not justified. But there is a correlation there, probably a perfect correlation. If you pray every morning, every morning the sun's going to come up. So it, it's that's just an example of how anecdotes can be sufficient, but they might be limited in, in what they, they, uh, they can do. So it really does require experimentation to push the field forward. That It has to be something different than what's done to figure out if we can do something different uh, or achieve a higher level. And sometimes it will be worse. Sometimes it'll produce no, no results. Um, but the idea that we have learned all there is to know are any different combinations and all the different permutations that exist in the interaction between the iron game and human physiology and psychology is so arrogant that I can't even relate to it. Um, but I do understand the motivation of some of the people who get annoyed with some of my content. If they do think that I'm saying, hey, you know what everyone needs to do? Just learn complex physiology and auto-regulate rather than understanding it's these are strategies that I promote specifically for physique and sports science, not, hey, you want to start lifting weights. Because I think, yeah, if you want to start lifting weights, find someone who you enjoy training with who lifts weights and just train with them for a couple of years. Like that, that, that was what I did and it was great. And I didn't need to do anything more than that, you know, a hefty dose of motivation and not do anything that is bad uh, will will get you quite far, and after that, you can decide which 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 way to go. So, I to some degree nod and understand when people are like these guys are just overcomplicating shit, and I'm like, yeah, like if 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 that's the way you see it, like if if you think everyone thinks that to even start training, they need to start watching Jeff Nippert videos and read my books, then I'd be infuriated too. I don't think we're saying that. And I don't think that's the audience that even comes to us. I think it's a straw man argument. And maybe it just comes out of frustration that that some guy, some some nerd like uh, like Jeff Nippert has 2 million followers while 
you know, you're trying to do all the natty or not call out videos and, and yelling and all the fancy editing and you have a better physique and you only have 700,000 followers. But, uh, Hey, I think people are interested in science and that's something that I've, I've become very optimistic about lately. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we, we always kind of look at, like you said, Eric, I think you kind of hit the nail. Like if people are interested in what science communicators do like yourself, Jeff Nibbard, uh, Mike Israel, they will follow them. And it's funny because I see a lot of these sort of comments on Instagram and even on YouTube when I sort of watch some of your videos of your videos or Mike's videos. And it's like, oh, like they're just overcomplicating shit. And um, we just need to, you know, basically what he's saying is um, do step one, step two, step three. Like he doesn't need to make a three hour video. But then there are, there are going to be another subgroup of people like you know at least myself um who has not been in in university for a while and obviously Kedrick is still there but i still firmly believe that if i'm going to be doing something i don't just want to know why it works i don't just want to know like oh if i add five kilos my rp is going to go up i kind of want to understand as well like why that actually happens like like kind of the whole reasoning behind it and I think it is very important to note, like for the listeners out there, if you are listening to this and if you are kind of coming to this episode thinking, I want those quick fixes or I want like the what like the quick summary. The quick summary is basically just to if you want to know more, hashtag science. But if you don't really want to know more, you can technically speaking, hashtag bro science and anecdotes and still make something out of it and there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that because like you said eric like if the bros are doing it and they're making gains surely they're doing something right but some of us are bros but are also kind of nerds and we Mm -hmm. we kind of want to mix both of them together so for, for 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 our listeners out there who kind of view eric really as this sort of great science communicator and things that eric is sitting in his chair as he's now typing away at a microsoft document and editing infographics on canva which he might do pardon you um mostly the word doc <laughs> or or or, or, or MS word mostly doc. just the word doc <laughs> but mostly, or, or, or the word doc um i'm also f- like I think people will be curious to know, aside from creating content, like you said, like putting things on a Word doc, which is always awesome, what else do you do? Mm. No, I wasn't kidding about all my eggs being in one basket, mate. Yeah. Um, there, there's not a whole lot else. But I, I think um, I'm, I'm the type of person who has a diversity of interests in only things that I'm obsessed about, which almost seems like a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> but like if you look at it, like – yeah, you could say I have like training ADHD, but it's all within the realm of lifting stuff, right? Um, I've competed in strongman, weightlifting, powerlifting, and bodybuilding. But people ask me like, oh, what's next, CrossFit? And I'm like, nope. Like, I, I ain't running a 5K. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not going to get on a rower, you know? Um, and then I think people are like, oh, does he do tri- nutrition or training? Like, he's kind of like all over the whole fitness realm. And I'm like, I know it seems like I'm a general fitness communicator. Like... For example, I, I will often 
get emails from uh, more lay press, like a, a writer for Men's Health. I've been regularly contacted by them, and I, I give them a you know a quote for their article or give them a book review or something like that. And they struggle a little bit to figure out what my specialty is because they can't put me in a nice little box. Yeah, um, like Eric Helms, the something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like so, that depending on who you talk to in the lay press, I might be a protein researcher, or I might be an exercise uh, like a periodization guy, that type of thing. Um, and and the reality is, is that I know exactly what my definition is. It's just weird for others. I'm a sports scientist for physique and strength sports, which requires me to know about a fairly broad range from nutrition to training, but in a very niche way, you know, like if you were to ask me about uh, nutrition for endurance sport, I, d- I don't know. It's, it's more is it's basically the limit of my, 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 my knowledge, like probably eat a lot of carbs, you know? Um, and if you were to ask me, um, about, you know, nutritionally epidemiology or stuff I was talking about earlier, like I've read the papers, but ne- never done anything like that. Um, and if you were to ask me more complex exercise physiology, if you get outside of the applied realm, you know, I understand the concepts sufficient to understand the applied aspects of them, but I am not the guy who remembers the molecular weight of Titan off the top of my head. Shout out Mike Zerdos who does, you know, so that's, that's, that's not me, you know, so I, I very much have this kind of view of I'm really interested in, in physique and strength sport, and I want to fully understand that and understanding that's kind of broad has gotten me to where I am. So, so what do I do? Getting back to your question. Um, I do everything related to that. So, you know, I spend a fair amount of time with my students like, like Kedrick and at AUT trying to make an impact on, you know, paying it forward and mentoring the next generation. I, 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 I spend a lot of time lifting weights cause I still have very, very serious goals that I aspire to as, as a physique competitor and, and a, a power lifter. Uh, mostly that's what I'm focused on these days. Um, and I, also, like, so basically there's three realms, like doing the actual science, communicating the science, and then doing, doing the science, lifting, and then, then li- lifting, right? <laughs> so, and competing. Um, so there, there's an element. So I have still some athletes I coach, like I'll be up at geez, like 4 a.m. Yeah, uh, right. watching, watching Bryce lift. So I'll, I'll get two chunks of, of rest tonight because he's competing at nationals. Um, you know, and I, I have uh, regular meetings with, with 3DMJ. Uh, I write for Mass. I have weekly uh, podcasts with both 3DMJ and uh, and Omar. Um, and you know, you you, you would have just seen me handling uh, Susie Premji at at North Island. So this is stuff I love. And you'll find me almost every Wednesday at, at AUT uh, talking to to Kedrick and Co. Uh, there. Um, so that's most of what I do. Outside of that, I'm pretty boring. Like I hang out with my wife Barb. She's great. Hang out with my mom, who's also here in in New Zealand, nice. and I have some other interests, uh, but they're they're largely recreational for the most part. Like I like watching movies. I play some tabletop role playing games with my family and friends that I have been forever. So I'm a pretty hardcore nerd. I read a lot of sci fi and fantasy, but um, yeah, almost everything serious I do is about this very serious world of lifting weights. So. That's pretty much it. And as far as like, how do I communicate science? Because you were talking about, do I make infographics or do I write? Um, there's a few outlets. So I do write blogs semi-regularly for 3DMJ. Um, I also uh, really lean into what I find, and this is maybe useful for anyone who wants to be a content creator or uh, a science communicator. I have kind of two views. There's like my 
my magnum opi. I guess that's plural for, for opus. Opuses? I don't know. There's my my deep work, like the stuff that I put out, like my book uh, or a, an issue of mass that I'm a part of that takes a lot of effort. I need to turn my phone off, focus on it, and just be very, very present. And it's not something I can repeatedly do without getting a little burned out, right? Um, I'm not going to be writing a book every year. I'm not an author in that way. I have my books. They'll be updated. They're great. And I enjoy writing them. I look at them and I go, man, that's a fine piece of work. But I can't produce them frequently. Um, similarly, how, how like Greg Knuckles puts out a lot of written articles. I can't quite do that, but what I can do is externally process quite well. And I'm very good at speaking. So the low hanging fruit, things that I can put out regularly is talking about this stuff. So that's why I do so many damn podcasts because it's easy for me. I don't feel fatigued afterwards. I have done three podcasts in the same day. That's too much for anybody, really. Um, but that's not necessarily um, – I, I view it very differently. It enables me to put out uh, complex content where I can explain things, but I'm playing to my strengths to stay relevant regularly. So that's how I kind of stay, quote, unquote, in the public eye, if you will. That is my my go-to content. Is you, there's, there's podcasts, and I can share that on my social media, and that kind of keeps me around. But then the things that I really will divest and invest time into are actual scientific papers or like mass monthly or updates to my books or, or collaborations like that. Um, and other things like doing a Jeff Nippert style video, I understand what goes into it, the video editing, writing scripts and all that. And you'd think I'd be good at it because I know the science. I'm good on, off the cuff. But writing scripts, anytime you actually tell me to say something that I've written out before, 15 takes. You want me just to wing it on a topic I'm good at? Two takes tops. And most of the times the second one's just because I just wanted to perfect it a little bit better. So it comes down to, to, to like I'm far too busy to, to invest in things that don't have a good ROI uh, because of the things that I do that have a, you know, they're, they're a high quality investment, but they have a, a steep, you know, they're a high quality return, but they have a steep investment like mass or my books. They're already taking up so much time and I'm already all in on those, you know, that I, I probably aren't going to, I'm not going to start any new things. So follow the path of least resistance is what I would recommend for anything you want to do regularly. And then make sure you set aside time to do the hard stuff uh, because it's don't, don't try to force it or you'll burn out. I think, I think that's very, very good and very um, like great tips and advice from like, I also want to kind of like talk a little bit on the topic of like, you know, how do you decide that this is the niche or like you want to, pursue generally right like say another oxymoron right there and i do think that because you mentioned uh, re uh repeatedly that oh cool endurance not my thing you know right and i mean if we look at um uh, i think like adam smith wrote like the wealth of nations like specialization is key you know like i think the south book quote example like making a, a needle or something like that where if somebody makes specific parts at the end of it you actually get get it quicker right and I think that works really well in efficiency. But I think in, in today's world, I think Dave, David Epstein wrote a book called Range saying that how generalists mm -hmm. uh, like, are successful in the specialized world. I, I do think that there is that fine balance because from what I'm hearing, you sound like you are specialized uh, in a certain general field. You know, So how, the, how did you decide that 
this you, you talk about the path of this resistance first but i'm pretty sure you are not an ad- advocate of doing only the things that are always easy right so yep. to also because you mentioned after that that you also have to do the hard things for example like i don't like uh i like exercise science and i dislike stats but i know like stats is quite necessary so yeah most of the time i'll do my uh exercise science, like data collection and then once in a while i have my stats when i have to write the paper obviously i have helped to do that as well so how and but i think people would need to be like sufficiently interested or passionate about a certain topic to kind of like withstand the larger resistance and not only head into uh head towards the path of this resistance all the time or not just this reason but no resistance right Mm. what made you decide that this path right now is worth the obstacles when the obstacles may arise Sounds I so actually... sounds so like life coaching. So Eric, tell us how 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 do you find your passion in life, Eric? Like what's what's the secret? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I think Kedrick, you you actually answered your question a little bit there where you said you'll have to have the passion to do it. And I think like it's so cliche, like you just hinted at Chong, but like passion is the secret um that makes hard things feel easy. Like, do you guys like video games? Mm. Yep, definitely. All right. So I do too, and I always have. And they are something that I have to be very careful with because I enjoy them a lot, which means I can I can put a whole lot of time developing completely unnecessary skill outside of the game. So um, I remember back when I was still in the Air Force, before I started lifting, I was trying to beat uh, Halo on Legendary with um, just a pistol or something like oh that. God. It was it was stupid. It was stupid. Why? And yeah, it was crazy. And I remember just grinding through this section where there was this elite with like knocking on the yep. shield was pretty much yep. like I just I had to jump behind him and hit him. That's the only way it was going to happen. It was almost impossible to do it. And I think I think I got killed 40 times like in in a like it just every time I just I just restart and I kept going but it didn't feel hard anyone looking at it would be like why are you doing this to yourself and it was because I was obsessed with it I was engro- engrossed and the limiting factor was often like I need to sleep my thumb hurts I haven't eaten in 5 hours or something like that um so I think that's in everyone but I think it it, it won't be there for some things so for me, Kedrick, the trick was to, no, I don't know if it's a trick. I guess what enabled me to do the hard things was that I had passion about the whole concept of how do I learn everything there is to be uh, about physique sports science and, and strength sports science. Um, and that enabled me to do some of the things that maybe aren't suited to my personality. So I'm a big picture thinker. Um, I'm good at connecting dots. I think that's great for being a critical thinker, but... I, I, I struggle to learn concepts that are quite complex and they need to be learned in isolation because they're at the micro level. Like it's, it's very like, if you want to ask me how much ATP is produced in the Krebs cycle, I think, I think it's 32 when you account for everything, but I don't remember. Like that's not something I remember. I have to go look it up, but the shit I remember is the more applied things. And the reason I don't latch on to that, even though I've taken it and learned it and as an undergraduate in exercise phys and, and, and then as a, as a postgraduate in exercise phys and then taught it as a teacher, but I still don't hold on to it, is it doesn't connect to anything. It's very difficult to think of, okay, well, 
what's the millimole concentration of ATP and how many phosphate bonds do we have to produce so I can do a one rep max squat? Like it, it, it's so intangible that it is, it is useful information in certain contexts and it's foundational because then you can assess, well, well, okay, well, why is creatine helpful? Like, like, oh, ATP CP. Oh, that's okay. And like, like it helps you connect these dots eventually, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult for me to uh, grind on things that don't connect obviously to the big picture. And I was actually reflecting on this today because, uh, and I, I would tell Eric this too, but Eric Trexler sometimes makes me feel inadequate. And I think it's a grass is greener type of thing because he has skills in areas that I don't. So it highlights my deficiencies. So for example, he is amazing at stats. Um, he is also very, very good with physiology. So when I am reviewing a paper and I don't catch a statistical error or I miss, you know, a, uh, a group interaction versus a time interaction or, or misrepresent it, or they miscalculate an effect size or something like that, he'll catch it and I feel dumb. Or if I'm trying to speculate on the mechanism for why the supplement worked and I'll go down a rabbit hole and I do okay. And then he's like, well, no, that half-life's only two seconds. And I'm like, how do you remember that? You know? So it makes me <laughs> feel like, like I'm a fraud. Um, but then I come to remember, and, and when I talk to Eric about this, it's like there are skills I have that he doesn't, and there's an opportunity cost, and it probably has to do with differences in our personality. Like he'll tell stories of how he and some of his, his, his mates in university were having contests about what they could do with R. R is a programming language that you can run stats packages through, and you can do a bunch of crazy stuff with R. And I think he decided that his friend was better at him when he managed to call his cell phone from R on his computer. And, God, and he was like, he was like, all right, you win. And I'm thinking like, okay, that's what you were doing for fun. I was reading papers on protein. Like, like I remember I was reading like systematic reviews and, and like bigger picture things. And, and then I was thinking about like, the, like I was playing around in Excel spreadsheets, creating a program around the same time that I called Helms Co. It was a, a joke of like, of like Chico, right? And I was creating all like, like playing with different daily undulating programs. So it's, I think my personality probably led more to the applied translational stuff, big picture things. And I learned s- sufficient stats uh, to, to be able to read papers and understand the big picture concepts, but I am by, by no means a, or like a, a statistician and I'm by no means a physiologist. So I guess everything comes at a co- at a cost. And then when you're later in your career and it's probably very difficult, or it would take you to really kind of partition off your life to go back and learn something that wasn't part of your foundation, it's, it's easy to feel like in, incompetent or, or think the grass is greener or to see like, oh, I should have done that. But you forget that there was a give and take. So I think that that's, that's something that I, I've thought about many times, Kedrick, is that it's a combination of what does your personality lend itself towards and what are you passionate about that probably produces what you end up becoming an expert in because um, the reward mechanisms are going to be in place to do that, you know? Um, like I think you can get quite good at shoring up weaknesses, but it's very challenging to be passionate about something that you suck at. I think you, you like it's, it's a really rare person who just will grind and grind and grind to become mediocre. Um, and I think people tend to lean into something they're at least decent at so they can get some of those basic rewards in place 
or it just has to be like an absolute requirement. You know, like I've got to pass organic chemistry or I don't get to have an exercise science major, that type of thing. Mm. Um, so which does happen in some schools in the U S so it's, I, I think those are all things that, that go into the milieu that produces like, where am I at today? Um, but yeah, so as a complex bouncing around answer, but I think I got my point across. Yeah, that's a, I think two, two points there that kind of really, really stuck out to me. And one of the things, as you mentioned, Eric, is um, the later you are in your career, the harder it is to kind of find things that you do. And it's funny that um, you say that because that's exactly what my mom actually told me um, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree. So for context, I graduated with a food science and nutrition degree. So I was kind of in between this limbo of do I go into food production and make chicken nuggets, which sounds really cool. And, sounds awesome. And I, I know how to do that. Um, or do I take an extra year and a half to, you know, get through my initial PD certification, get my SNC stuff done. I mean, I've done human physiology when I was in, in uni, but not to the extent that I want it. Like, not to the extent which I'm comfortable with sort of like telling a client or someone to say, hey, like, this is what happens in a squat. And and, and so I was at the crossroad and said, uh, I told my, pa- I was very, very, cl- I remember this very, very clearly. And I said, I, I, I want to go down the, the more the exercise route and the nutrition route. I don't really want to do the the factory stuff. Like, I get it. I understand it. I enjoy it. I like to talk to people about it on how, like, fucking face cream is being made. Side note, I've I've done it before in, like, an actual, like, uh, thing in an actual factory. And it's, like, honest to God, it's not as flashy as it thinks. Um, But I kind of told that to my parents. And they were like, and my mom said, well, you're young. Mm. You're, and, and shout out to those listeners who, uh, you know, I don't know what the demographic is because obviously this podcast is really new. But if you are someone within the age of like 20 to 22 and you're kind of just in that stage of just graduating and not like Kedrick who decides that PhD is the route to go and sell your soul to Eric Helms. Um, <laughs> then my my mom kind of said like, well, take that risk. Like because mm-hmm. I was at that point, which I don't really know what passion was. And she said, do it for two years. If you don't make money of it, if you don't make money out of it, chances are you're going to hate it. Then you probably know it's not going to be there. Mm. And it ties in very nicely to the second thing that you said is um, you kind of just have to do it to figure it out. And it's a great book by, uh, I believe it's Robert Caldini. It's so good that they can't ignore you. And the, the summary of it was basically like, you don't really know your passion until you actually do it. And nope. once you do it, like yourself, Eric, like once you lift the weight, you kind of know deep down within within you spiritually whatever it might be that this is something that you belong in you know some people and and i don't know about um eric and and kedrick but i i have friends who i talk to who look at me and say why the hell are you lifting weights and slugging yourself and trying to put yourself through all the pain booking physio sessions uh, paying for like multiple coaches just to make sure you eke out the extra five kilos. I'm like, well, that's kind of like really you saying you're spending a hundred bucks on a Saturday night. That's just how I want to spend my hundred dollars this week. Like I'm, yep. I'm cool with that because that's something that I like. 
And I think for, for those who are listening out there, and if you're having this identity crisis of, I don't know what passion is, or I don't really know which kind of rabbit hole I want to go down, the sooner you kind of just take the plunge and just try it, you will probably know whether it's right for you. And if it's not, um, and like as Eric said, especially if you're not older or more mature into your career, you still have that opportunity to kind of say, okay, I'm just going to do a 180, um, start a new degree, which a lot of people do, by the way, and go down another rabbit hole until you find something that you like. So, yeah. I, yeah. Just, just a quick correction. Don't, don't, don't mean to call you out, but so good you can't ignore us by Cal Newport, I think. Yes, Cal Newport. Uh, yeah. So, sorry. I don't Ro- mean to sound like... Yes, Cal Newport. Yes. Know, but yeah, Robert Caldini. Ro- wrote, Robert Caldini wrote... Um, influence. Yes, influence. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, Same. Yeah. Uh, Cal Newport. But, Apologies, Robert, if you're I, somehow I, listening I, to this. <laughs> I, I, do, are, you know. I do think that passion is uh, uh, like I think it's necessary right for like long-term fulfillment and success but it's not uh, sufficient you know you need something else like I think for example you, like external rewards such as money because I think that if you cannot earn a living and you don't have a roof over your head and you can, don't have food you will probably just do your passion till you probably die of starvation you know uh, or something something along those lines but I do think that, that that is really important. I think for now, so let's just like move this down the track slightly, Eric, you know, you mentioned about like now you found your passion, now you found something that you enjoy, right? But I also noticed just now in the conversation, you mentioned a lot about like how your obsessive halo behaviors of smacking someone uh, with the pistol. And I, I completely get that because I was playing this game called The Last of Us, right? Uh, yep. Really, really good game. But my goal was to like, I need mm. to kill all the the infected with headshots only. And every time I did not kill them with a headshot, uh, I would restart the thing. And man, I took ages to finish it, right? It's like, no, really, really long. So I, I understand the obsession for games. So how do you this, how do you determine, right, uh, dedication, the difference between dedication and obsession? Because I think with everything, there's always a virtue and a vice, right? So dedication might be a virtue, but obsession can be a vice, right? So how do you kind of like identify that? And it doesn't even have to be this formula out there where you say that it will work for everybody but in your own personal life because like you said you have you wear many you wear many hats right but if you are just yep. particularly obsessed with one particular hat the other the other areas would suffer so when do you decide that and actually have that self-talk with yourself man this obsession is getting out of hand or instead of reaffirming like i'm just this really dedicated person because i think it's important yeah. to tease that out for people out there because learning is great right but you like say everything has a cost and when do you decide that the cost the is cost too, is too much yeah. yeah yep i'm actually going to paraphrase another person who i think this isn't this wasn't new learning from me having on iron culture but it was probably the best uh simplification and and making this point as salient as possible that i've heard and it was brian whitaker who won the 2015 ifpa yorton cup pro overall and the wnbf worlds uh, pro overall in the same year and he's widely known as probably being having the least flaws of any physique and being the most shredded um but still not having any like god like just crazy muscle bellies or talents like brian brian whitaker is um, get me like there are there are no world champions in natural bodybuilding who aren't genetically gifted, but there are many people I think who got probably dealt a better talent card. Um, but he is someone who just exudes doing everything in his power to maximize what he has, and that actually put him on top. And to hear this from him 
really, I just love to hear it. And he said that it's not about optimization, but about optimizing within the constraints of your life. So he described how bodybuilding is actually fourth in his life, if I recall correctly, uh, behind his spirituality, um, his his uh, family, and his career. For those who don't know, he's actually a tenured professor of economics. Wow. So within the confines of bodybuilding, he won't allow it to negatively affect his his spirituality, his family, or his career. He optimizes it. And I think that's the type of priority list and constraints that most people don't have when they first get into it. They just think about what's optimal and I'll do it. And I think it's easy for someone like me to say that who is a above average bodybuilder. But when you see someone who is not you know, God's gift to bodybuilding. But again, I, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that he is very talented, but who is not like the most genetically elite ever in the sport of bodybuilding, who has taken it to the highest level at arguably the peak of natural bodybuilding's popularity. I think it really carries a lot of weight. Um, you know, you could sort of maybe take my my perspective because I, I, I try to be good in, in multiple areas, but like Brian has got a PhD and he's a world champion. You know, it's like, it's just very, to me, it's like, hey, if he, if he can do it, then all this whole, you know, the the, the, the meme of uh, obsession is lazy people's word for the dedicated is really just an excuse to be a shitty human, in my opinion. So uh, I think what the way I kind of to take it even step back, the way I bring it into my life and why this was like a reaffirmation of what I, what I was doing is to me, it all comes down to mission. So if the mission is to be a better human, right? If for, if for me, it's like if I want to be the best supervisor I can for my students, if I want to take care of my people in 3D muscle journey, if I want to leave uh, the, the strength and physique community better than when I found it, but something else I'm doing, my, uh, my obsession towards learning this one thing or getting in this argument online or, or peaking for nationals is taking away from that, then I am off mission, if it, that makes sense. Um, so I think having that clarity of purpose and having kind of a, your own little hero's arc of like, where do I want to be? What's my five-year plan? And what, what impact am I trying to have on the world and the community I care about? That circumvents a lot of those things where you look up one day and you're like, I've become that, which I hate, you know, like that won't happen to you, you know? So, um, not that you won't learn the clarity of your mission through making errors. You will, uh, or you will get that balance wrong. Like, man, bodybuilders love to talk shit about balance. Like it's like the easy way out. But in reality, like when you think of like a tightrope walker with no net, that's balance, in my opinion. It's hard. It's easy to just like, you know, wrap yourself around it and, and just swing and or just be like, screw it, I'm going to jump, you know, like give in to nihilism or just be obsessed. I think it is easy to be obsessed. I think that's the temptation. And we even glorify it like, oh, you, you mm -hmm. got to sacrifice to win that type of thing. It is far harder to achieve at the highest level and to find a way to not compromise by thinking about, all right, how do I not be a shitty father, not be a shitty husband, not be a shitty insert your career while also really taking my sport seriously? And I think that is a much harder path to walk. And I think a lot of people who think they're working harder than the, the guys who have hashtag balance because they're, they're committed are really just very bad at, at not being like black or white with their thinking. 
And it's maybe not to their detriment now, but when they look up and the things they've sacrificed are not things that feel worth it to them, their future version of them in 10, 20 years, that'll be too late. And I think that's a very unfortunate thing that we often see in sport or in careers. You know, we, we, you hear the story of the person who chased like the quote unquote American, like corporate dream, you know, they get to the highest level of achievement and then they take their own life. Like they missed, you know, they, they were off mission their whole life, but still achieved at a very high level, but they didn't have the meaning that they wanted. And you only get meaning from having purpose and purpose is self-defined in life, in my opinion. So for me, it's about being on mission and knowing what my priority is. So, yeah. Yeah, like very, very well put, Eric. And it's funny you you kind of talk about so sort of like that all-in mentality. And it's ironic because we, we're kind of coming full circle back to the whole like toxic fitness community, right? We see that. Mm. Um, you know, that you're, this is like a standard scenario, right? Oh, you know, you're working, uh, you know, 12, 16 hours a day and you've got a family. Work harder. You know, wake up at 4 a.m. to get your gym session in. Sacrifice your sleep. It's like, well, do you really need to do that, though? Like, you know, we kind of, you're kind of at the point where, like, you kind of just lose sight of what life really means. And, you know, I don't want to, mm. I mean, we can't go down the rabbit hole, like, being very deep and philosophical, but... And I think Kedrick kind of had that really, really good uh, sort of comparison there as well. Like, you can be obsessed with something, which I don't think is is wrong per se. But you also have to very you you also have to have a very clear line in the sand on how obsessed can you get with something before it starts to have a spillover effect onto other areas of your life. Like, like you used a great example there, like Brian Whitaker. You know, bodybuilding is number four. And for someone being on top of his game, for bodybuilding being number four, you would like to think that, man, you know, from from an outsider's point of view, this guy is obsessed with bodybuilding. He's won it. You know, he's at the top. Surely he's waking up at 4 a.m. Dude's bloody, you know, like you said, like it's a professor. He's got a family. You know, and bodybuilding's the, the fourth thing from him. And... Yeah. You know, it's this whole mentality with, I guess, sort of the whole hustle culture society these days, right? It's like, you need to want it to, to, to have it. You know, you need to be uh, obsessed with, with, with whatever, like making uh, seven figures, eight figures, or getting that million uh, followers on, on Instagram. But the reality is that what happens after that, like if we don't, like you said, it's on admission, and if you're not very clear with your mission, um, these obsessions that come along the way, funnily enough, games like Halo, at some point, you know you have to stop. If you don't, and you're not very clear with your mission, it, what happens after you get it, it's not rewarding. You know, like, yeah. oh, I win nationals, what now? It's like, oh. Yeah, you know? and we've seen that many times. Yeah, I've won. Yeah. If, if you don't mind, I want to clarify one thing. It's It's a tough one because... Like Gary Vee's not wrong, mm. you know? And like Kedrick said, like passion isn't enough. You you do have to to make it be viable in some cases. And, and there are times when you are going to have to pull out the hard work card and, and put it down. But it is, it's very specific application of it. You know, like, like you said, someone looking at Brian Whitaker from the outside, he's obsessed. I would never weigh all my, my macros to the gram. I would never push through 
feeling like I have zero energy and I'm starving and decide to do 600 pounds for sets of five on deadlifts and then go do cardio. And I would never then go the next day and, and be the keynote speaker at an academic conference, right? So it's unfathomable to, it's unfathomable to do that to other people and it seems like it requires obsession. And that's because being on mission is a very close cousin to, to obsession. It's just directed the right way. Mm. Like, don't get, like, like I think you're 100% right. Like, I am an obsessive person. Brian Whitaker is an obsessive person. And that's why I get so frustrated when I'm in, like, the, like, like a bodybuilding kind of space online and everyone is glorifying hard work. Like, no one's impressed. Yeah, Everyone is doing, doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> we were all crazy. Like, this is not anything to glorify. This is, this is, this is like, I walked in the door. Like, yeah, if you got on stage in shape, you have an obsessive personality exactly. and you ha- work very hard and now you're glorifying it because like you don't have a life outside of it. Like, bro, like you're, you're, you're not top, you're bottom. There are people who have lives and hard work hard. Like what's wrong with you Be an adult, you know? So, so to me being on mission is just a way to take that raw immature energy of obsession and apply it in a way that integrates with life in a way that won't make your life worse, will make it better. And that's basically the entire mission of 3DMJ is how do we help bodybuilders take what is innate in them and make it something that is that is life building rather than potentially making life worse or tearing it down. Hundred percent. I think um, a very interesting thought that I I kind of like uh, formulate uh, like just was thinking in my head when you were talking is that you know you sure there's hard work right there's hard work you know on stage but sometimes you just do it so often that the hard work is no longer hard it's easy but what is hard work now is actually finding balance you know so you you see like after you do it so much it's not hard work anymore it's just day in day out right it's easy now because i'm in the groove but what is hard now is to find balance then you need to do that hard work now you know right so i i do think it, it, it is quite interesting and uh I think you, one of your podcasts or one of your posts, you said, don't, you don't glorify me to see I'm this like dedicated person going to the gym. And I was posing on like trunks because I, I actually like doing this. You know, it's not actually like that hard, you know, anymore because I actually like doing it. Right. But sometimes, you know, what is harder is actually striking that balance or like prioritizing, you know, and the thing that the hard thing is that priorities change over time. When you're 21, you don't have family. Sure, you can do all this, but if you try to keep that up when you have a family, like I said, other other areas will suffer. So I do think a good uh, this would be a very uh, good place to close. And you know, I think that we always do this uh, question with all our guests, and we talk a lot about learning today. And a lot of it is like, uh, hold on, aren't I your first guest? Oh yeah, we will do it with all. Our, we will. We, we will. will I love it. Damn it, Kendrick! We uh, let it slip. Yeah, we, 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 we do. We ask this question. We will ask this question to all our guests. All our right? future guests. Yeah, all our this future this guests. veteran podcasters here. With every single guest we have, we ask this question. <laughs> we, we will edit this in post. I don't know if this will be. This will. This will make it through. Ah, uh, you better keep this in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so. The, the big question is we've we've touched a lot right I think we've we've opened a, like a lot of can many kind of cans of worms and I do think if we take it like back to square one right back to square one for someone 
who be who wants to be a lifelong learner and i think you are one yourself back to square one where should someone start or what characters should they like nurture in themselves so that they can mm. continue on this journey you know or the 3d muscle journey yeah that's a great question kedrick and i think i think that's a really tough one because i'll speak for myself in that the reward mechanisms of being seen as someone intelligent are to put you on a pedestal and to highlight the fact that you're the smartest person in the room, you know, which may or may not be true, but it feels good to believe that. And that makes you become adverse to being wrong. But the way you learn is by exposing your ignorance. So what I, my suggestion to anyone is to really try to become less attached to the ego and the feel good of being right. Enough of it, you still need enough of it to want to be like, I, I kind of have this 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 almost like competitive nature with being a, a scientist smart guy. But I, I'm very aware of that and I understand that that fuel can lead me astray. Like, you know, we've talked about all these, these, these nerdy thought books like Ego is the Enemy, another really fantastic one. I think you really need to realize that if you buy into your own hype, that is the starting point of your demise intellectually. <laughs> that is the point where you start to confirm your own biases and mm -hmm. you start to not be an educator, uh, but more so just kind of fencing yourself in and you become an intellectual isolationist and you just find ways to believe that you're the smartest person. And it's no mistake that like most of the people who are actually reasonably well-regarded and were creating new thoughts and putting out good information in like the early 2000s and late 90s eventually just totally lost the plot, you know, 10 years later. Like for those who don't know, like I made a joke about Charles Pollock when he, earlier because he's like the the meme of of like the bro science thing. Charles Poliquin is the guy who introduced the concept of daily undulating periodization in like 89 or something like that. And then a couple decades later, he's talking about how like South American fruit is better than anabolic steroids. So this is a real thing that can happen <laughs> if you if you start to, to focus more on – rest in peace. Apologies, Charles. If you focus on your ego more than anything else. So for 100%. me, I really try to stay humble and I try to – Focus on the fact that I need to be ignorant in order to correct ignorance, and that is basically the birth of knowledge. So I I try to notice when I respond emotionally and when I'm triggered because that's any time I think I know something and when I defend a position because that always indicates to me that that's actually the fear of being wrong rather than uh, the desire for knowledge. So I have to actively monitor that in myself, and I think that's something I'd highly recommend. Mm. Great stuff, Eric. And that sounds like a very, very stoic answer to um, what can you do if you want to take it back to square one. So to kind of wrap it all up, Eric, where can people find you? Um, what what are some good coaching? If you're still taking coaching clients, um, how can people find you on social media? Um, you've mentioned a lot of companies that you're involved as well. Um, yeah, fire away. Absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. The the best one-stop shop is 3dmusclejourney.com. That is the number three, the letter D, then musclejourney.com. Um, while I don't take on clients myself anymore, I am the chief scientific advisor for 3D Muscle Journey, where we coach uh, primarily drug-free bodybuilders and powerlifters. 
um, but also people who are non-competitors as well, if they have recreational interests that align with that. Uh, and then from there, you can find links to my books, The Muscle and Strength Pyramids. You can find links to MASS, Monthly Applications and Strength Sport, where we go over all the research that's relevant that's come out in the last month. That's with myself, Greg Knuckles, and Drs. Trexler and Zerdos. Uh, and then outside of that, uh, the other two places you can find me more regularly would be weekly on Iron Culture uh, with Omar Isaf, which we mentioned earlier. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram to kind of see me constantly link out to the stuff I just told you, <laughs> you can follow me at Helms3DMJ. All right. Uh, thank you, Eric, for uh, all, the word of, all, all your words of wisdom and advice. So for all of the listeners out there, thank you for listening. And feel free to share this on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. And yeah, we'll catch you back on episode three, which is also going to be our second guest. So yeah, thank you for listening.